Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is November the 20th, a Sunday, 2022. The Sunday shows, as always, are screaming and shouting about immediate stuff. Uh, Elon Musk, Twitter, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, the crash of crypto, and so on and so forth. But at least some of the <coughs> excuse me, quality Sundays are addressing bigger issues. The Financial Times, for example, has an interesting piece on what it calls the masculinity crisis, uh, the change in the nature of what it means to be a man, and perhaps more importantly, what it means to be a boy. Appropriately enough, they have a photograph of two young boys at a Donald Trump rally. Photographs um, signify a lot, as we shall see when it comes to what it means to be a boy and a man. And the FT uh, piece features a number of books um, on uh, masculinity in 2022. One, Men uh, After Me Too. Uh, another, A History of Masculinity, and a third of Boys and Men by Richard Reeves, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. The book's taken off. He talked to me about today's crisis of masculinity and how to fix it. A crisis, Reeves suggests, has been brewing now for 50 years since the 1970s. One man who's been doing a lot of thinking and perhaps more importantly, looking at what it means to be a boy is my guest today on the show is one of the world's best known photographers, Roger Ballen. Um, and in 1979, he had a book out called Boyhood in which he traveled around the world capturing images of boys from Nepal. He, he traveled from North America to the Himalayas, to Indonesia, to China. Uh, photographing boys. Interestingly enough, um, there's a second edition of the book with some new photos uh, by Roger uh, that has just come out. And I'm thrilled and honored that Roger is joining us from um, the Intercontinental Hotel in Berlin. Roger, welcome. Uh, thank you for inviting me. So tell me, uh, Roger, the original um, ambition of this book. Um, the first version in, in 1979. What were you trying to do? You spent four years on the road photographing boys. Well, I guess uh, one could uh, look at it from two points of view. The first one, it was documentary, and you're trying to capture something out there that's interesting, something that's personal, something that um, I guess uh, you develop a passion towards finding out more about. I guess beyond that or underneath that is was a, a search for my own childhood. And, you know, at age 23, 24, 25, um, so-called childhood wasn't that far back. It wasn't like right now at age 72, where it's buried under 50 years or more debris and memories. So uh, childhood in some way or another was more uh, prevalent in the front of my mind. And I wondered uh, what had happened to it. So it was a, in a way, it was a psychological journey to find out. You were born in New York City, um, uh, at least according to Wikipedia. You were raised as Jewish. Your father was an attorney and your mother was a member of a famous 
photo agency, Magnum, it sounds like you had a, a kind of classic upper, upper middle class uh, New York City childhood, boyhood. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, um, you know, uh, how much uh, that environment uh, influenced me uh, the, living in a suburb of uh, New York. Uh, uh, I think uh, what was most prominent in terms of my career, my mother got to know and work with people like Cartier, Bresson and Cortez, Bruce Davis and Erwin, very famous uh, photographers. And she started one of the first photo galleries in the United States at the time. And the pictures were all over the house. She had a passion towards what she was doing. Um, there were books. And so over a period of a couple of years, I, um, I started to understand what uh, good photography was about. And in those days, if you want to call, there was no such thing as art photography. Nobody called themselves as an artist, as a photographer. But if one looks back, these were the artists of photography. Uh, at that time, the people who worked in Magnum and a, f and a few others. So by the time I was 17 or 18, implicitly, I understood what good photography or more artistic photography was about. So by that time, I was actually able to go out there and, and take pictures that, uh, you know, still have impact today. Uh, Roger, regular viewers, listeners of the show know I have a particular interest in the idea of nostalgia. I'm not sure if Walter Benjamin said this, but... Maybe I can invent something he said, um, that all technology is a form of nostalgia. You suggested that this project, Boyhood, was an attempt to retrieve your own boyhood, rediscover it, dig it back up. Um, is photography in that sense as an art, and you're one of the pioneers of the art of photography, is it by definition as critics like uh Benjamin might suggest a form of nostalgia or a form of retrieval. Yeah, but I mean, this is a very complex uh, question. Um, where does the vision come from? Uh, does it come from the conscious mind? Does it come from the subconscious mind? And then you're out there trying to uh, make a coherent statement. And I guess if you're trying to find something out about yourself, your identity, the human condition. Well, I guess it is a form of uh, retrieval, but it's also a form of creation. So I'm not uh, quite clear whether the process of creation is very difficult. Well, to let me rephrase the question then. I know it's an unfair question, but it's my show, so I can ask unfair questions. Um, is the technological nature of photography, after all, you could have decided to have become a writer or a painter, or a musician, all of which involve a kind of technology, but there's something no, particularly high-tech about photography. Is there a connection between the high-tech arts and nostalgia, or is that, again, coincidental or too complicated to generalize about? No, I think it's too complicated. I mean, if you go out and take a, a, a picture of uh, the taxi outside, is that nostalgia? I mean, there's different forms of photography, I mean, uh, and different purposes. I mean, that's what makes photography very complex is, you know, everybody's doing it. And I guess you, you could say without the technology, there wouldn't be any photography. But I mean, if you're a painter without the technology of making a brush or making paints, there's also no painting. I, and even in writing, you have to use a pen or a pencil. So, you know, I, 
I think no matter what you do in, in the arts, it requires some form of technology, some more sophisticated than others. The early cameras were, weren't that technologically sophisticated. They were quite uh, simple in a lot of ways. Um, and as time has gone on, the cameras have become much more complex. I can't tell you how my phone works and how it captures the images that it does, but I can certainly tell you uh, how a camera worked 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And, and so, yeah, I think uh, there's almost no art that doesn't involve technology. The book is, is both volumes are wonderful images of boys all over the world. What kind of camera did you use? I used a, a Nikon uh, FTN, so it was the first, uh, my mother uh, gave me this camera when I graduated high school, and um, this was the camera I used, a Nikon FTN. It was one of the first cameras that had a, um, it was a reflex camera, and it was a camera uh, that could measure light as it went through um, the lens, so this was one of the first of these cameras, so one could operate it maybe a little bit quicker than the previous cameras because you didn't have to necessarily worry about um, what the light reading would be. The camera was able to assist you with this. Roger, you came out to Berkeley in the late 70s, where I also was at that time. Um, a time of great cultural, political change, uh, particularly when it comes to gendered identity and what it means to be a girl and a boy. Was that one of the reasons? I know you suggested you, you did this first volume to somehow rediscover or recapture your own childhood. But did you realize something was up? That, you know, there's this cliche, boys will be boys. But of course, that's as wrong as most cliches. Uh, boys might have been boys in the 1970s, but boys in the 2020s are quite different. Oh, yes and no. It's like saying human beings now are different than they were 50 years ago, you know. If you study psychology, and which I did initially, um, this period, say between six and 10, which was the period I was really interested in, is called the latency period. And boys like boys, girls like girls. And what was very interesting um, to me about this uh, project conceptually, and it was what I tried to capture in some way or another during the so-called latency period, it's the first time boys go out, in the, out into the world without mommy watching them. So this, it's the discovery of the world for the first time. And they do this generally with other boys if they can, because perhaps they're a little bit insecure about doing things themselves. And so they go out for the first time, sometimes usually with another boy, a good friend that there's the first friends they make outside of the family itself. And they discover the world for the first time. So there's something quite, I guess, uh, poetic and impactful about this because it's the first time that you see things in your own way. So it is a quite a nostalgic period and a quite an impactful period. Uh, Roger, we I think in the 2020s, we tend to be paranoid about the in, intentionality of uh, people looking at children. There's a great deal of pessimism about what people are doing with children. I'm not sure if that was around in the 1970s. How did you do these photographs? Did you need to get their permission or the permission of their parents or did you just go out? No, look, this, was, this was like street photography in those days. You know, the, I wouldn't, went, I don't know, 50, 60, 100 different countries. I couldn't, if I saw a boy playing on the street and took his picture, I didn't, first of all, I wasn't like a digital camera 
maybe the picture was absolutely awful. There was no point trying to speak to the boy who, who wouldn't understand me in the first place and then go try to find the parents and say, I took a picture of your son. Uh, is that okay? Could hear something the sign in English. What are you what are you talking about? They might think I'm mad. So so no, I didn't I didn't uh, go and speak to the um, parents of the children and at all. It was just a, I was a street photographer capturing uh, something happening then and now. And and as I said, it was a film camera. I didn't know how well it was captured one way or another. So uh, that wasn't something I uh, focused on at the time. Roger, in this second volume, one that's just come out, came out a couple of weeks ago, um, do you have any new photos or what's new about this second volume? Well, I think there's a few things new, um, maybe not revolutionary new. One, I found a number of very excellent photographs that I had neglected to put into the book. So that's something that was important. Secondly, I wrote an essay in the book. It wasn't a long essay, but uh, looking back, um, uh, looking back for 50 years later, uh, what is my impression of what I did and what is my impression about childhood at this uh, point in time? And thirdly, it's very much um, improved um, printing uh, in this book compared to the last. I think, you know, the first book, uh, you know, it was printed OK, but it's not close to the quality of, of this book. If you were doing it all over again, um if we could turn back the clock to 1979, which in an odd way you do, of course, in this book, these photographs are timeless. What would you do differently? What kind of images would you take that you didn't take in 79? I would do the same. I don't think I would be able to, to capture what I did now at this age, but I would I would do the same because I, I think I re uh, reduced something. Um, I found something about boys, about this period in, in life. Um, and I got the essence of it. I got the essence of it. I, I, I think, um, you know, uh, I don't think I would, would do anything differently. I'm very happy with what I caught here. I caught something universal. I caught something that um, that I feel positive about. And I think I caught a, a certain aspect of the spirit of, of childhood at this point all over the world that's that links one place with the next. And, you know... Um, of course, I could have been more conditional. I could have, if I did it now, you know, would I go out and um, go to some child's bedroom and 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 uh, photograph him um, playing with the computer? Well, I, I don't know if I would do that or not. I I don't know. I mean, it have to. If I did that, it would still have to link in in some way or another with the other um, images from a aesthetic point of view. You know, I've never really, it's very important to understand something about what I've done over the last 55 years in photography. I see myself as a somebody interested in this psychological nature of images. I don't see myself as in particularly that focused on cultural, political, economic, social uh, issues. I, I try to get below that. That's always been my um, goal in whatever I've done over the years in this field. Could you explain that in a bit more detail? I don't understand the difference between psychological and political. I mean, the psychological is, you're suggesting it's political. Well, everything's, it's, uh, every, every, everything is interactive. You know, we can't, you can't, you know, pull out one without the other, but the, you know, you can give precedent to one uh, versus the other, you know, if you, you know, so um, you, when you're talking about uh, 
psychology and, and, and Freudian psychology or, or childhood psychology, it's not necessarily uh, that linked to uh, politics. You know, it's a science in itself. So it's, um, you know, I don't think you could easily say, well, everything you do is political, but you could easily say everything you do is cellular, or biological, everything you do is chemical. So, you know, we're, we're, we're prominently a chemical being without chemistry, we wouldn't exist. So where do we, where do we, what do we focus on and try to make clear about our intentions? Well, I think it's important to, you know, cut the rope somewhere. In terms of Freudian psychology, for example, what does what are these photograph what are these photographs of, of, of boys tell us? Or or what, what are your challenges and opportunities as a photographer to capture the self or the inner self? Because after all, photographs can only capture the outer self, but you're suggesting that your photographs also suggest something about the inner self? Well, the inner self the, uh, drives the um, the motive for the photograph. So the inner self is trying to, you know, this again is very obscure concept like consciousness and unconsciousness. You know, where is where in the brain does or where in the cell does one exist and the other not exist? So these are very general uh, terminologies. But I mean, uh, when we um, uh, go back to talking about inner self, outer self, I mean, photography is is manifesting itself in the outer world. And um, the, I guess the um, the uh, driving force, a, a coordinator of that is a, is the is the mind itself, and the, the way the mind tries to create coherency through the p a particular media. So I guess you know, is the mind does the mind only reflect the inner self, or does it ref reflect uh, other things? I, these are really difficult philosophical questions. But you know, for me, it's always been a journey. It's like a diary for me. Photography is over the years is like um, uh, putting together a diary, what I'm interested in and what, what I'm trying to come to terms with in, in different ways. Um, the little bits and pieces of puzzles that I concentrate on for, for particular, for a certain amount of years, and then I move on to something else. So you're saying that these photos of, of these boys are an attempt to sort of capture the moment or the period when they are becoming adult that they're escaping their family no, they, there's pre-adolescence it's before adolescence so it's it's this five or ten year old so it's so but, but um so what do you think i mean someone coming to this book and just picking it up what are the lessons that they might learn about boyhood around the world from china to the himalayas to the streets of north america well i think this captured an aspect of boyhood it captured the the um, the concept of, of and the poetry, if you want to say that, it, there's not that much negativity in these pictures. You know, boyhood is an old nostalgia, and you know, each of us has, has good memories and bad memories of childhood. I mean, so, but this is a more idyllic um, viewpoint. It's as I said, it's 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 trying to create the position of of um, you know what it was like to uh, go out into the world for the first time and 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 find meaning in it and, and to explore it. And, and that in a way is a, I think, nostalgic and a romantic concept. So there's something romantic in the, in these pictures. I think there's no doubt about that. And, and I guess from my uh, career was the first and last time 
that romanticism uh, was so uh, prevalent in my images. It's a romantic period, I think, because for those of us in 2022, none of these kids had cell phones. None of them had cameras. If, if you were to do this in 2022, most of them would have iPhones or other kinds of smartphones. They'd probably be photographing you. Do you think that's the main difference between the late 70s when you did this first project and the early 2020s? Yeah, look, this has changed the world. There's no doubt about that. I mean, when they saw a camera, this was a really unique experience. They probably had never been photographed before, and nobody certainly took any interest in photographing them. So most of these pictures were taken in underdeveloped countries, some in the United States, but a lot in third world, so-called third world countries. So it was really a unique experience, something that really they would remember and probably tell their friends about. And they were quite excited um, to be photographed because they probably had never been photographed. So it was a unique experience. Now it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be that now. It just it just wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be that. They might not even perform in the way they did with the camp with camera in front of them they might just ignore it they say well you know who wants to do anything in front of a phone or a camera i you know what's so special about that so you're right you're right this is it was a different time a different time totally in an odd way roger everyone's caught up with you everyone's roger ballon now or everyone wants to be roger ballon with their smartphone capturing the world um what does that mean for roger ballon yeah, but, you know, the thing is, is very few of them can get to that level. It's like saying that, you know, everybody has a pen or pencil and they can become a great writer, you know. It's taken me years and years and years. And photography is very, very difficult to get to perhaps a level I'm at. You know, in one hand, it's the easiest so art form perhaps to enter, maybe other than writing and buying a pencil. But because of that, it's become maybe the most difficult or form to actually create impact because there's so much of it now. And so it's easy to get into, but to get to a certain level to create images um, that have some impact, psychological impact on people is very difficult. I mean, you're just see, you're seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of images and it's, you know, um, a good photograph should be like a, a COVID virus. You know, the mind shouldn't be ready for it. It shouldn't be ready for it. And it gets in because it's not ready for it. It hasn't seen it before. It hasn't dealt with the concept and it just stays there and transforms. So it's like a COVID virus in a way. That's a great, uh, I'm not sure it's great. It's very uh, bracing, uh, um, uh, uh, Roger, the idea of a good photograph being like the COVID virus. You mean it's something different that we didn't expect. It's taken us by surprise, shock. And then it's like a virus. It transforms the cells into its own cells. It transforms. And before you know it, the cell's producing for the virus, not the other way around. So in a sense, you're a, you're a spreader then of one kind of pandemic or another, the good photographer. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, if your images have that impact, then you are a spreader. You're a transformer. I guess that's what a good artist is. It, it, they are able to create work that wherever you go, um, gets inside and, and transforms and people don't forget it so easily. And they may not even recognize it, but the subconscious mind recognizes the image and it stays there. It just hooks and, itself And that's up. another of the ironies of a photographer taking the surface or what seems to be the surface. You 
just as you're interested in psychology and Freudianism, you're trying to get underneath the skin. You're trying to get into people's minds inside. Mm. Where there's no, there's no, there's no formula for doing this. That's that's the whole thing. You can't go A plus B equals C. You know, it's just there's no formula. You either can get there or you don't get there. And a good photograph in so many ways is like making a painting. It could take thousands of yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And you go through these thousands of steps to get to the point where you say, okay, I'm ready now. It's there. But when you go left, I might go right. And when I go right, you might go left. So you're not going to follow me down the road very far. You've thought and written and photographed a lot about the relationship between photography and fine art. We had a show last week with Jessica Todd Harper, who's a photographer of her own family. She has a new book out called Here, in which she photographed her own children. She made the explicit comparison with what photographers should or could learn from Vermeer and other 17th century Dutch artists. I, I talked to uh, Jessica about the woman in blue in particular, one of my favorite paintings. What's your approach to realist art or 17th century uh, realist art in, a, in, in, in the Dutch form? Should photographers learn from that or is that something they should be reacting against? Well, you can learn from anything. You can look at the tree outside and learn from that. You can look at a rat and learn from a rat. You can. You have to find the things that you associate with. And so I may not learn very much from Dutch painting, but I may learn a lot more from Art Brut, or I may learn something from uh, cave painting. And she may not be interested in cave painting. She's interested in Dutch painting. So you have to find your way. You have to find what attracts you and what, what challenges you. And and you shouldn't necessarily um, listen to uh, what uh, some formulation from somebody else. You have to find your own way. And that's the hard part. The easy part is to um, look at books. The easy part is to go to the shows. The hard part is to put it, the camera around your neck and go out there. What am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Am I even getting close to anything I want to get close to? In an odd way, it's, um, it's almost a... If I was to write a novel about you, I might begin in 79 with this first book. And then in 2022, you came out with a revised edition of Boyhood in between, Roger, in the, uh, in the 40, for more than 40 years between these two volumes. You lived your adult life. How did Boyhood shape your life? Did it have any impact on on how on on how you lived your life on what you did obviously on your art itself but more broadly you moved to south africa which was unusual in some ways did it did it have an impact on on how you've lived your life well i think it had two impacts one in a more practical way you know it's the first time i actually put something together so sometimes the first is the most difficult to do so it was you know a very important um uh experience for me that i went out, spent all these years taking these pictures and it ended up as a book. I got it together. So my dream was fulfilled at that point in time, which gave me the confidence that I could do it again. So that's was a very important uh, step. And I spent a lot of years taking these pictures and learning a lot about photography. So when I went to the next project, which was in South Africa, you know, I learned a lot from the first project uh, aesthetically and, and practically. And so, you know, I, I created the layer um, to start uh, building the next one. And I, and, and I think that was important. I guess working with children 
you know, I guess I started uh, having a better idea of, of, of creativity or spontaneity. I'm not, I'm not really sure whether, um, you know, that experience of, of working with children um, was, was absolutely crucial in, in what I did later. I, I, I don't know. It's, you know, to try to, there's so many things that affect you and, and put you in one position or another. It's, it's, it's hard to sort of separate them out there. They're all so interactive and there's so many things you forgot about and you can't necessarily come to, hey, well, you don't realize, you know, we're, life is very complicated. Create, creating is very complicating, complicated. And ultimately the pictures I take uh, should um, reflect that complexity. Did you have, or do you have any children of your own? I have a boy and a girl. They're twins. They're 33 years old, and they live in Johannesburg, South Africa. Do you think this experience, this project, changed your, because you were a youngish man, uh, do you think it changed your idea on parenthood, particularly as a father, not just of boys? As you say, you have a boy and a girl. Did it change your view of, of what it meant to be a parent? Did it make you more or less enthusiastic about having children of your own? Yeah, well, it was a, a fair amount of time um, between when I finished this book and when I had the children. You know, I was still quite uh, restless after I uh, did this book. I did a PhD in the geological field in Colorado. Uh, after I came back to America, then I got married and married a South African woman. Then I went back to South Africa, but I was still quite uh, restless in a lot of ways. And so you know, it left a big impact on me that I, I really like children, but I was sort of restless and didn't necessarily want to settle into parenthood right away. So, um, you know, there were a lot of uh, other issues that I was trying to uh, come to terms with. And, and, um, and so that was, that was one of them. And, but there are others. You see, you still seem quite restless. Um, if I was going to give you a nickname, I would call you Restless Roger. Isn't that a quality that artists need to have, that kind of restlessness, that unwillingness to settle, to compromise, to stay still? Yeah, you, you, you need that, and uh, you have to be... I mean, there's some... The problem The problem these days is this word art and artist is becoming so complicated to actually even understand it anymore. So, you know, you can just say an artist is somebody expressing themselves, but when I see what people are doing all over the world. Some some are going in one direction and others going in another direction. So I'm not sure if all of it can be put into a, a, a certain personality type, to be honest with you. A lot of people are going to be watching this, Roger, and thinking, younger people, and thinking, I want to be like Roger. I want to go out and photograph the world, become a, you know, you're known all over the world. You have, uh, you even have your own NFTs. You've got books you're you're quite a character and you're you're an example of how successful a photographer can be both intellectually artistically and commercially is it harder now in 2022 would you encourage a, a kid in their early 20s just to pick up a camera whether it's an iphone or a, a higher end camera and go out into the world and just take photographs and do what you did is that possible today given the internet and all the oh, struggles it, look, to monetize photography well, it's always been difficult photography. I mean, uh, up to the mid-1980s, it was impossible to sell a photograph. Nobody could sell a photograph. Nobody was interested in buying a photograph. So 
it was never an easy job for somebody you know to be a so-called artist photographer there was a lot more work perhaps in the commercial field and it was harder to you know achieve um, recognition in that area because uh, you, you had to actually know something and you had to study photography and there was a lot of technique that was involved now that you don't need as much technique the cameras and the photoshop do this for you but if you want my honest opinion, it's a very difficult. I always uh, want your yeah. honest opinion, Roger. Yeah, my, I mean, I, I sometimes go to a university and uh, they don't like what I say. But if I would tell my son or my uh, or go to a class, they would say, "What is your recommendation, Roger?" My recommendation would be do the photography, but have another career. And finally, and this is a—I mean, maybe we could call this a Balanesque. Uh, kind of interview, uh, organized chaos. Is there such a thing as Balanesque? Some of the people who write about you have invented this word. Are you comfortable with uh, with the word Balanesque, which they describe as an organized chaos, which drives your work? Or is that a bit of an indulgence? Well, up to about 2016, when Thames and Hudson produced the Balanesque book, I was wouldn't have been confident to call what I do Balanesque. I didn't I wasn't clear whether I'd gotten to a point where what I did aesthetically through photography and other art forms was, you know, that could could be given a name. You know, I wasn't clear whether I'd gotten that far. But about 2016, I had the confidence to say, yes, I've created something different in photography and I would stand by my own, um, I would stand by my own words and say, look, I feel I've done something special in photography that has some lasting value. I'm happy to say what I've created is Balanesque. I don't have any worries about that right now. Well, I don't think you have many worries. You've had quite a life, Roger, and you continue to have quite a life. Your 79 book, Boyhood Now, has come out as the second volume with a new intro from you and some new photos. A wonderful achievement and project. Fascinating in the context of the 2020s, too. Um, people need to get it. Read, look. Like Roger, acquire Roger's eye, borrow Roger's eye. What else are you looking at these days, Roger? What would you suggest people look at, whether it's a book, a movie, uh, a photo, or just a place, a world? You know, you have to find your own way. You know, that's the whole thing. Too much of us, too many people are finding, trying to work with formulas, and they're pushed into a system a very sophisticated camouflaged system that makes you feel you're being created, yet you're actually uh, being pushed along by somebody else's commercial uh, uh, interests. So you have to find your own way. It's a, there's no easy way. There's, uh, it's step by step. And some days it goes well, some days it doesn't, but you have to have the focus, the, the interest, the passion uh, to stay there. That's it, you know. If there was an easy way, everybody could do it. Well, that's a Balanesque response, if ever I heard one, Roger. 